Well, good morning, people of God. And everybody said? Good morning. Good morning. Outstanding, outstanding. Let us bow here for a word of prayer. Gracious Father who art God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your love, your grace, and your mercies. And now, Father, we come before you asking that you would be with us in this session, that the words that are presented, Father God, be inspiring and for the edification of those who would hear it. We thank you. We give you, we give you our praise. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, once again, uh, as presented in our first session last week, I am Dan Morgan. I am the CEO uh, lead for Go Ye Harvest Outreach Ministry. It is really my pleasure to stand before you today to continue this session of Bible Basics. Last week, we did an introduction, and today we continue this session with Who is God? So last week in our first session, we established the basic, the framework for our session. And we said that we were going to go on a journey of exploring the scriptures to understand what God says about many topics and address questions that believers, unbelievers, Christians and non-Christians have regarding God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, faith, prayer, fasting, the scriptures the sanctity of life, relationship, marriage, and many, many more topics over the next several weeks. Very quickly, we also established a basis for who we are here at Go Ye Harvest Outreach Ministry. As presented last week and as we always present in all of our communications, we're just a group of believers, partners, volunteers who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ that wants to share the gospel with all people who are interested and knowing about Jesus. We build this ministry upon what Jesus said when he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Also, we stated that this ministry is not a church. Rather, this ministry is a non-denominational ministry focused on redeeming adults to Christ by sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ without regard to race, religion, sex, national origin, political affiliation, or any other characters that you want to define the individual as. Again, our mission is simply to promote the spiritual growth of Christians through sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ in different forums, whether it's through Bible study, devotion, prayer, mentoring, or informal counseling. We do this on a regular basis, whether it's weekly, whether it's daily or monthly. In addition to doing the Bible studies, as I am doing now, we want to get out of the building and we do street services. We've had uh, one already last month out on Houston Avenue. Our next event is scheduled for the Food Mart on uh, Rocket Creek Road at the intersection of Bloomfield, and we invite you to come out to be with us there. In addition to those venues, we also want to get out into the prisons as well as on college campuses. I desire, we have a burning passion to desire the word of God because we believe that we're in end times. It is important that the people of God who know God and are able to do so share the gospel. In that last session, we also established some basics about what we believe. It is not our desire in this session to try to prove that God exists or that his word is true. We take it at face value. And we establish these as some of the foundational scriptures 
for this ministry. Beginning with Genesis 1-1, where in the beginning God created, all the way through the Bible. I'm not going to recap these scriptures, but if you want to take notes on those scriptures, you can certainly do that, and you'll see them again. Or you can go to our previous session where we listed the details for each of these scriptures. So, let's begin this session. We're going to begin it by talking about God. Who is God? Probably the best way to understand who God is, is to understand his names. And these are some of the names that scripture tells us that God is. Where he declares himself he is, or someone of prominence in the scripture says God did this and that is his name and God confirmed it in his word. As you look at this scripture, Elohim, Adonai, Yahweh, Jehovah, are the pre supposition, if you will, for the name of God that says God. And then that to the right is a character that may tell something about the character of God. As you look at this particular screen, this particular shot, what you see on the left side of what we're going to discuss in today's session. The right side we're not going to be discussing, but those are additional names of God that tells about who God is. So who is God? I, God, the God that we believe in, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who is the God of the Jews, also the God of the, of the Christians, and the Muslim also claim the Old Testament as their God, even though they call him by a different name. Christianity, like Judaism and Islam, is mono-religion in that there's only one God in our religion. In some religions today, and certainly in millennia ago, there were many gods, and most people worship many gods. But the God that we believe in said, I am one, not the many other idol gods that people worship. So our God has several names that he has revealed to us in scripture. And understanding who he is and his character can be best explained by understanding the names of God. A name, as you may very well know, is a term used for identification. Names can identify a class or a category or a thing or a single thing, either uniquely or within a given context. In early biblical days, particularly in the ancient Near East, that is, we call it Israel, Egypt, and Persia, names were thought to be extremely powerful and in some ways as a separate manifestation of a person or a deity. This viewpoint is responsible for the reluctance to use the proper name of God in Hebrew writing or speech, as well as the common understanding that magical rituals had to be carried out in the name of someone. By invoking a God or a spirit by name, one was thought to be able to summon the spirit's power for some kind of miracle or magic. A good example, though, for us as Christians is presented in Luke 9.49, in which the disciples drove out demons in the name of Jesus. That's Acts 3.6. We have Peter, who said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Names and character tells us about someone. 
So who is God and what are his names? What are the Hebrew names as revealed in scripture and what do they mean? The Hebrew uses primarily three base names for God. We have El or Eloah, Adonai, Yahweh or Jehovah. Let's talk about those three. El or Eloah means God, mighty, strong, prominent, as presented in Nehemiah 9.17 and Psalms 139. El appears to mean power and mighty. El is associated with other qualities such as integrity, jealousy, and compassion. But the root idea is might. Now let's think about that. We believe that our God is mighty. That is, he is mighty in power and strength, and he can do all things because he is mighty. Adonai. A lot of us are familiar with this word, Adonai. It means Lord, but this is the lowercase Lord, L-O-R-D, as presented in Genesis and in the book of Judges. And it is used in place of Yahweh or Jehovah, which was believed by the Jews to be too sacred to be used by us sinful people. In the Old Testament, Yahweh is more often using God dealing with his people, while Adonai is used more when it deals with the Gentiles. And for clarification, Gentiles are simply those who were not Jewish. And then Yahweh or Jehovah, Lord, L-O-R-D, Deuteronomy 6, Daniel 9, strictly speaking, is the only proper name for God. Translated in the English Bible, L-O-R-D, Lord, is distinguished from Adonai, L-O-R-D, Lord. The revelation of the name is given to Moses when God says, I am who I am. So Moses wants to know, well, Lord, who am I going to tell these people sent me? And he says, you tell them I am sent you. This name specifies an immediacy, a presence. Yahweh is present, he is accessible, he is near to those who call on him for deliverance, forgiveness, and guidance. And that's very important to know, that our God is an ever-present God. Whatever the situation in our lives, all we have to do is call on him. And when we call on him, he is sure to answer. Regardless of our situation, regardless of what it is that we need from him, he is an ever-present God. Who is God then? Let's go back and look at Elohim. Isaiah 40, 28 says, Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, L-O-R-D, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. Genesis and Deuteronomy. Now think about that. I, God, the creator of all that is, we're going to talk about this when we talk about Genesis uh, chapter 1. It doesn't go tired or weary. Regardless of the millennia, thousands of years of the deal with the problems of mankind, he is as ever-present and near to us now as he was in the beginning with Adam and Eve. So Elohim is found on the very first pages of the Bible in the Old Testament book of Genesis, and it is how God first introduces himself to us. When the Bible is translated from its Hebrew to Greek roots, 
Elohim is found over 2,500 times in the Bible. It is the first name that gives up something tangible about our God's character. It describes his ability to speak and life come forth. We're going to talk about that, but think about that. The God that we serve speaks, and it is. It come forth. Someone said the very creation of God, when God speaks, must respond, no matter what it is. It doesn't matter what it is. When he speaks, his creation responds. Think about it as God speaks and somehow or another, we, his created beings, given free will, we don't respond. But the very material word that he made also responds when he speaks. And that's awesome. It establishes his sovereignty, his creativity, and his power. He is the creator and the living God. The word Elohim also translates to gods, lower gods, to remind us that God is three in one, Father, Holy Spirit, and Son. So, to set this stage right about who God is, I want to walk you through Genesis 1, the history of creation. So, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And what did he do on day one? Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. God spoke it. And light came forth. On day two, then God said, I said, then, then God said. You will notice throughout chapter one, then God said, when God said it was so. So, then God said in verse six, let there be an expanse or firmament or sky, as we would call it, in the midst of the waters. And let the expanse, the firmament of the sky, divide the waters from the waters. And this was day two. Then God said, this is talking about day three now. Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God said, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth and the gathering together of the water he called seas. But then on the third day he said, again, then God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seeds and the fruits Trees that yields fruit according to their kind. This is the third day of God's work. God speaking forth things into existence. And then we have on day four, then God said. This is verse 14 if you're following your Bibles. Verse 14. Then God said, let there be lights in the firmaments of the heavens to divide day from night. And let them be signs for signs and seasons and for days and years, and let them be for lights in the firmaments of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. Now, then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule by day and the lesser light to move to rule by night. We're talking about God said, God created the, 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 the sun and the moon. Now we get on over into verse 20, we get to day five. Then God said, again, then God said, and it was so. Let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures and let the birds fly above the earth across the face of the sky of the heavens. That's day five. And then we come, last but not least, to day six, and quite a number of things happens. Beginning in verse 24, it says, Then God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creatures according to their kind, cattle and creeping things, and beasts of the earth, each according to his kind. And it was so. And then that crowning thing that God did. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. 
Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and all the creeping things of the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. Day six. So the issue of time, if you, you, you see in the verse one, God said, let there be light. And there was light. That's day one. But then you get to day six and God has all of this stuff going on. Wait a minute. Day one just to say, let there be light. But day six, he has a lot of stuff going on. But we must remember, as we're told in second Peter, for a thousand years is like a day in the sight of God. In other words, we need to understand that while God called it day and it was day, in his sight, it's all the same because God is eternal and is really outside of time. But for us to understand him, he gives us a timeline. We call that history. So 2 Peter uh, chapter 3, verse 8 says, But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. And then Psalms 33 says, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke and it came to be. Amen. So who is God? Yahweh or Lord, L-O-R-D. Jehovah versus lowercase L-O-R-D. So Yahweh is a principal name in the Old Testament by which God reveals himself. And is the most sacred, distinctive, and incommunable name of God. Based on Leviticus 24, it says, he that blasphemes the name of Yahweh shall surely be put to death. Now, because of this, Jews generally did not, Jews generally avoided the use of Yahweh and substituted Adonai or Elohim when reading scripture. Exodus 3 tells us that God also told Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and is how I am to be remembered in every generation. Exodus 15 tells us, the Lord, L-O-R-D, is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Exodus 34, and he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, L-O-R-D. Many of you know this very well. Compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounded in love and faithfulness. What did we say earlier? The names of God tells us about God. It gives us the assurance of what we understand, know, depend, and trust in God for. What better way can we, as intelligent beings, understand our God who tells us about himself and his power? Again, the names of God. Who is God? Names been at the top. Names along with character being at the bottom left-hand side. Again, we will not be going into uh, the ones on the right. But then those things still, as I said before, tells us about God. Okay? So let's continue to travel on this journey. Who is God? Let's start with El Shaddai. Lord God Almighty. <laughs> you just think about that. He's Almighty. Okay, Psalms 84 says, Hear my prayer, Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, God of Jacob. Look on our shield, O God. Look with favor 
upon your anointed. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand years elsewhere. We have a great song about this. Lord Almighty, blessed is the man who trusts in you. El Shaddai is a Hebrew translation for Almighty God. This first occurrence is found in Genesis 17. When Abraham was 90 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. It is found a total of 48 times in the Bible. In contrast to uh, the numerous G-O-D small surrounding God's people. God was known as the Almighty God. What we're talking about there is in the Old Testament time, there were a lot of small G-O-Ds, but only one capital, L-O-R-D, God, Lord God. He is all-powerful. Nothing is impossible for him. There is no act of strength that is too much for our God. Knowing God in this manner gives us a deep sense of awe and reverence. It also provides us with hope. Hope, you know, is so significant. We, we, we go from day to day, with, day to day with the hope of all the things we believe in and trust in about God. Jesus is our hope. And we're going to talk about that later. So we're going to stick with the, with the Old Testament and talk about the character of God. But Jesus is our hope. And through the salvation that we have through him. And we'll talk about that later. Talking about God Almighty, just a few scriptures here where, where scriptures calls him God Almighty. So starting with Exodus 6, and God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appear to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. Genesis 35, also God said to him, I am God Almighty. John 33, the spirit of God has made me and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Job, will he delight himself in the Almighty? Will he always call on God? Job 22, but then you will have your delight in the Almighty and lift up your face to God. And then Numbers, the utterance of him who hears the word of God and has the knowledge of the Most High who sees the vision of the Almighty. God names himself and tells us about himself in his sacred word. Continuing, who is God? El Roe, he's the God that sees me. Now, I really like this, this, this Psalms 139 thing, because I read it all the time. It speaks volumes to us about who God is. So we're going to read that. But before I read it to you, and you can follow along with me in your Bibles if you have it, you know, the God who sees me, there are many moments in our Christian walk where we feel alone, we, see, we feel desolate and invisible, whether it's in the trenches of motherhood or we're at work or we're waiting to find our spouse. God sees us. He knows our needs. And, and, and it really is astonishing to think of God, the God of the universe, who made all that is that I talked about in Genesis 1, that he knows what we're doing right now. He sees us, he is watching us, and he cares for us. So, let's read Psalm 139, God's perfect knowledge of man. And I'm going to re be reading the New King James Version. Oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thoughts are far off. You comprehend my path and my lying down. And are acquainted with all my ways. But there is not a word on my tongue. But behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. 
You have hedged me in behind them before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? If I send into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely darkness shall follow me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you, but you form my inward parts. You cover me in my mother's womb. I will praise you. Why? For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought together in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book, they were all written. That is, the days fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. He knows all about us before we were even born according to his word. What an awesome God that he would care for us in this detail. Okay, moving it on. Who is God? Yahweh or Jehovah Rapha. He is the Lord who heals. You know, in Kings, God tells the prophet to go back and tell Hezekiah the following. God said, return and tell Hezekiah the leader of my people. This is what the Lord, the God of your father, David, says. I have heard your prayer and have seen your tears. I will heal you. Throughout scripture, we are told about the healing power of God. It, it says he sent his word and healed them. You know, the name Yahweh Rapha in Hebrew means to cure, to heal, and to make whole or to restore. Yahweh Rapha appears only once in the Bible, and it is a second name God reveals to himself for his people. Exodus 15, 26. We are reminded that God himself is the great physician who has the power to heal our physical, emotional, and spiritual need. He is our healer. In Exodus 15, 26, we are told, If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandment and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which are brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Now let's make sure we take that in context. He said to Egyptians, I will not put on you none of the disease that I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. So we need to understand, things may happen to you if you don't do what? Meet the conditions that are set forth in the first part of this voice. He says you diligently heed his voice and do what is right in his sight. So if you're disobedient and you don't do these things, either because the hand of God is upon you or through the natural course of being a human being and suffering from the fall, you're going to have things happen to this mortal physical body. But whatever the condition is, he says, I am the Lord who heals you. 
It may not come when we want to. And we may pray sometime and it doesn't come. But at the end of the day, even in the resurrection, we will be made perfect. One way or another, we are going to be healed and made whole. And then finally, Isaiah 30, 26. In the day that the Lord binds up the bruise of his people and heals the stroke of their womb. This next one here we're going to talk about, I, I like this one too because it gets us, us into the uh, 23rd Psalm, you know, and that's just a great one. I think a lot of us learned uh, this one long before we knew much about God. We learned it as children, you know, in middle school or grade school or something. But this one is Jehovah Ra, the Lord my shepherd, or Yahweh Ra. He is our shepherd. It's just wonderful to think that we have a God who shepherds us. So, the name Yahweh Ra translates to the Lord shepherds me and is found in Psalms 23. Oh, thank you, Lord, for Psalms 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. Further study of Ra is Ray, meaning friend or compassion. It can be translated as the Lord my friend. In this passage, we are reminded of just how much God cares for us. He is our friend, our confidant, our leader, our provider, our shepherd. The passage is perhaps one of the best known scriptures of the Bible because it is one of comfort and a reminder of who God truly is to us. I especially like it because it speaks to so many things. I mean, let's just read it, okay? Let's just read it. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with the oil. My cup runs over. Therefore, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, you think about the shepherd who is out there in the pasture with the sheep or wherever the flock is. And he has to take care of them, provide for them. He has to ensure that they are fed in abundance. He has to ensure that, that animals or no other harm or nothing else can bring harm to his flock. He looks after them in every way. God is our shepherd, and he does the same for us. Even when we go through the valleys of our lives, call here the valleys of death, even if we're confronted with death, we don't have to fear. We will fear nothing. No weapon formed against us can prosper, so therefore we fear no evil. For he is with us. And then you see that rod in his staff. For a long time as a child, I didn't like that part about the rod, because the rod shows his discipline. But as I got older and I read more and learned more, he says that he chases, he disciplines those whom he loves. Just as a father or parent has a discipline of the child, when the child goes astray, we get disciplined so that we learn not to disobey. Not because God or a parent wants to hurt their child, but to train them early on so that when they mature, they don't have to be chastised. But you know that staff that really comforts me? I love that staff because there's power in the staff. What did Moses do with the little old staff wood that God gave to him? He did quite a bit of stuff with that staff. We're talking about God and his staff. 
And Moses had a wooden staff from a tree. Oh, my God. We can make a whole sermon on this, but we're going to move on because we got a little bit more road to travel. All right, so who is God? Yahweh Nisi, Jehovah, the Lord, my banner. You know, Moses built an altar, according to Exodus 17, and named it Yahweh Nisi, which means the Lord is my banner. He said, they have raised their fists against the Lord's throne, so now the Lord be at war with the Amalek generation after generation. In this particular battle in the book of Exodus, the chapter recounts that Israel had the advantage over the Amalek only if Moses held his staff up high. Remember I talked a little while ago about the power of the staff? So here's Moses holding up that staff, powering that staff. But you know, when he brought that staff down, the power ceased. So his sister and his brother had to help him keep that staff up so that they had victory that day. You know, it's a reminder of God's leadership and protection. He is our banner. The Lord is my banner and a way is a way of the Israelites and modern-day Christians as we identify ourselves as followers of the Lord God. The banner also functions as a rallying point. It reminds us that we are rescued by God and identifies with him. You know, uh, Brother Joe Timmons and others within the military, you know, we get taught all the time that, you know what, we have a rallying point. Every time you go on a mission, when you leave your base, particularly when you're in hostile environments, there's a rallying point, and everybody knows where that rallying point is. If things go unpredictable, you don't know what to do, or you're lost, make your way back to the rallying point. That's the way our God is. He is our banner. He is our rallying point, and we can rally around him for all that we need. Here's a real favorite one. We love this one, don't we? Who is God? Yahweh Jireh, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord my provider. Oh, does that not speak volumes? He provides for everything that you need. He never said, I'll give you everything you want. He has said his word, I'll give you your heart's desires, but we have to be careful about that one because once we get to know him, the things of our heart are the things that God wants, and they're no longer focused primarily on the cardinal uh, financial desires that, that, that consume so many. It's the desires, really, of God's heart that becomes our desires. So Je Jehovah Jireh, or Yahweh Jireh, was a place in the land of Moriah. It was the location of the bind of Isaac, God, uh, uh, Isaac's, uh, Abraham's son, where God told Abraham to offer his son Isaac as a burnt, as a burnt offering. Abraham named the place after God provided a ram to sacrifice in place of Isaac. Now, you're not going to get the best expression of this without me reading to you Genesis 22. And, and I think you, if you don't know Genesis 22, you're going to like it because it tells so much about how God's provided. So here we are. Sometime later, I'm reading chapter 22 now, God tested Abraham. Now let me stop. He said, test it. Okay, he didn't tempt him. God tests us because as we walk through this faith thing with him and we are tested, it strengthens our faith, our trust, our belief, our hope in God the Father. So God tested him. But you know, by this time, Abraham's faith was solid. I got to pause. It was already solid because you know what? The man was 75 years old when God told him he was going to have a child. And his wife, Sarah, was already old too. But God made him wait 25 years. And there's a lot in the scripture that scripture tells it happened in that 25 years, but God had him to wait 25 years 
before his son Isaac came. But God was faithful and he provided. So, continuing. So God uh, said to call Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. Verse 4. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servant, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. Now, you got to catch this because I didn't catch this until just recently. He says, Abraham knows now that he is going to sacrifice Isaac on the altar as God said, right? He knows that because God has told him, sacrifice your only son, Isaac, whom you love. But check this out. Abraham tells his servants what? We will worship and then we will come back to you. Now, 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 did you get that? He is supposed to be going to sacrifice his son on an altar. That means killing him. But yet Abraham tells his servants, we're going to go there and worship and we are going to come back. So Abraham had faith even now that somehow or another he didn't know how, whether it's going to be the resurrection of his son, I don't know. But Abraham had faith to believe that whatever the outcome, he and his son was coming back. That's the kind of faith I want. That's the kind of faith that moves mountains. That's the kind of faith that moves God. Okay, verse 6. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife, and the two of them went on together. Now, Isaac is no dummy. Verse 7. Isaac stood up and said to his father, Father, yes, my son. Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said. But where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Where's the lamb? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering. Abraham knew. He didn't know how, but he knew God would want to provide a lamb. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar and there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his own son whom he loved. But the angel of the Lord, L-O-R-D, God the Lord, called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything for him. Now I know that you feel God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son, Pause. How many times in my life have I failed God and not walked faithfully or not demonstrated the faith? And because I did not pass the test, God tests us. His word tells us this. How many times or how many blessings or how many possibilities did I forfeit? Did you forfeit? Do we forfeit? There's a great lesson in this. And I'm thankful that, that in doing this session, I get to learn something from this as well. Continuing, verse 13, Abraham looked up and there in the thicket, he saw a ram caught by his horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. 
So Abraham called that place the Lord, L-O-R-D, will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. <laughs> now, here's a revelation that came to me. To this day it is said the Lord will provide on the mountain. Revelation. Who's the mountain now? Jesus is the mountain. We'll get into that later. Jesus is a mountain on whom God will provide for us. Through Jesus, we're told to pray what? To the Father. Jesus said, pray to the Father in my name. So how beautiful is all the scripture from Genesis to Revelation tied together. And we can take great hope and joy in how the Lord presents his word to us. I get excited. I get excited when I talk about God's word. I don't know why, but I do. Okay. So bringing this to a conclusion, I, I hope that something that we talked about in this session about who, who is God helped you to better understand the awesomeness, the greatness of our God, and that as with many of us who walk with Christ, it humbles you. And when you truly get to know him and recognize what he has done is doing for us. It's sufficient that we will hold him in a place of reverence. That we really are in awe of him. That we do what he said, he's greater to be feared. But we have a fear of reverence, not one of cowardice. We fear him because of reverence. He's a God that spoke everything into being. He's our God, our creator. He's our Lord, our master. And we call him those things because we love him because he first loved us and because of what he has done to do for us. I close with 1 Corinthians 12, 16. And there are diversities of activities, but it's the same God who works all in all. From Elohim to the right side, Jehovah Sabbath, that is all. It covers almost everything you can think of about what we would want our God to be. Thank you, my brothers and sisters. It is truly my honor to be able to bring this Bible study session to you. Be blessed. God loves you, and so do we. And so we'll close with a word of prayer, if you would. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for your revealed word to us in Scripture, your word that inspires us, your word that teaches us, your word that brings us to our knees in true reverence of you as we give you thanks. Father, we thank you for the Go Ye Harvest ministry. We thank you, Father God, for all the other men and women, Father God, that comes under this banner to do what you've asked us to do, to bring in a harvest for the kingdom of God.